If you would, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. As I said earlier, I'll be gone for the next four Sundays. Some of the men at the church will be speaking, and I hope that each one of you will attend each Sunday while I'm gone. But in that light, in the light of the fact that we're starting a new year, I wanted to come to the issue or the question, why go to church? Why do we go to church? And you might say parenthetically, um, even when the pastor is gone. Um, let's begin with the reality that we live in a different time, that this is a different generation, a different society than the generation that came before. And one way that this is evident is in church attendance. The time was where people got ribbons or medals or pins for perfect attendance. And I don't know if any of you saw this perhaps from your parents or your grandparents, that they would have a, a metal thing and then they would add, add a piece of metal for every year that they had perfect attendance. Um, I think that doesn't matter to anyone anymore. Um, years ago, I came across uh, a tape, we have it up in the library, by Dick Kies, who's with the, uh, the Labrie in Southboro um, in Massachusetts, on the subject, why go to church? And I found his material helpful, and I thought that I would share it with you today. Um, I want us to consider four questions and try to answer them today. Why people don't go to church? Why sh what should they expect when they go to church? Why go to church? And why be involved in a local congregation? First of all, why don't people go to church? Now, at this point, you might say, Damon, we're here. Why are you, you know, you should be talking to people perhaps who aren't here. But let's just consider reasons that people give in this generation, in this society, for not going to church. Some of them you may have heard. Some of them you may have used on occasion yourself. Um, one is people say church does nothing for me. I'm better off on my own, um, being in contact with creation, with, God, with the beauty of God's creation, and without question. Um, travel around this country and you will see some spectacular sights. Um, don't know that that's a good reason not to go to church. Some say church is boring, it's predictable. Others would say it's better to stay in bed and get caught up on your rest, that I'm better off spiritually when I have more physical rest, which may in fact be true. Others would say, isn't it just better to get together with some friends? Maybe we could go to Starbucks and have a nice, interesting conversation. Some would say church depresses me, that it takes me farther away from God, in part because the people in church are hopeless. And here you can supply whatever you think that might mean, whether it's hypocrisy or they fail to live up standards that you've created in your own mind. Some would say, I don't go to church because it's embarrassing. Others would say, I simply can't find a good church. This raises the second question. It leads us to the second question. What should one expect in a church? And this we could spend several Sundays on, uh, on this subject alone. Let me just answer this or limit my answer to two things. First of all, a church should have faithful teaching that is faithful to what the scriptures teach. Paul wrote to Timothy 
All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is an echo what we hear from the Reformation, sola scriptura, only scripture. Um, the basis of what we believe is found in scripture, in the Bible. This is what is to be studied. And we could, I think, very easily say, well, yeah, that's sort of a given. Let's, let's move on to the next point. But the reality is oftentimes we need to ask ourselves, why do I believe what I believe? What is the basis? Is it found in scripture? So first of all, a church should have faithful teaching. But secondly, a church, a congregation should live out that teaching faithfully. If you go back to what Paul said to Timothy, when he said that all scripture is God-breathed, he said, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The next four Sundays, you will hear what I anticipate will be sermons to direct you in some aspect of your life as God's people. How we are to live as God's people in this place and this time. I look forward to listening to the sermons online. Usually when I'm on that side of the globe, I listen Monday morning because Dave has already put them up. But as challenging and as correct as each sermon may be, it's only part of the equation. It's only part of the equation. The other part will involve you and me living out the truths that we have heard. Otherwise, why bother listening? And why should each speaker bother to prepare something, uh, be careful in their preparation, if in fact we're not going to do anything about it? I remember some years ago, a good friend of mine who had wandered from the faith um, was telling me about a, a church that he had attended, and he said, yeah, the guy there is a really good teacher. And I thought to myself, well, that's nice. Why aren't you doing what he says? You know, it's, it's one thing to say, well, that's a great sermon, and then abs- do absolutely nothing about it. So a, a good church should have good teaching, faithful to Scripture, but the congregation should also live out that teaching in their lives. But let's get to the big question. The third question here is, why go to church? From Dick Kaiser, he says, going to church is a true response to what is true. Now let me digress a bit to sort of bolster this, if you wish. I want, you to remind, I want to remind you of what we've seen in the past few months. What is the nature of prayer and what is the nature of worship? Both are a response to God. In prayer, God has begun the conversation. And in prayer, we respond. This means, among other things, that the burden of what we're going to talk about in prayer is not on us. Oftentimes, I think we wonder, what am I going to pray about? Well, you don't start the conversation, you respond. It's a dialogue God has spoken. Have you listened? That's the big question. If you have, then you respond in prayer. In worship, we saw last Sunday that God has acted in human history in a variety of ways, and we are to respond in worship. We saw this last Sunday in Revelation 4 and 5 that the worship of God and the Lamb is based on what they have done. Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. There's God's actions, and the response is worship. 
And then to the Lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. We are not the initiators. We are not the prime actors in worship. God is. Therefore, when we come together on Sunday, when we pray, when we sing, when we give, when we listen to scripture being read, and when those who read, read it, in the preaching, in communion, all of these are a response. We respond to God. Worship is God's action and our faithful response to his actions. One congregation that I visited some years ago uh, has organized their worship based on this principle of, of response. It has five parts. First of all, God calls us. God initiates and invites us, promising that when we gather together as his people, Jesus will meet with us in power. The call to worship reminds us that true worship is not passive like a spectator sport or entertainment. Instead, true worship is active, requiring the full engagement of body, mind, will, and emotion. God calls us. Then God cleanses us. And this is where we have the prayer of confession, which we read aloud, but this is after we have read it silently. And so there is that aspect of individual confession as well as corporate. But again, it is God who cleanses us. The focus isn't on us or that we initiate the process. He has. God consecrates us. In this movement, God consecrates us or sets us apart for his service. In response to the forgiveness that we have received, we pledge our allegiance to our Lord and Savior. We commit our resources to his service, that is in giving. We pray for our community and our world. This is the time when we speak of things we are thankful for and we would like to remember in prayer and encounter the beauty of Jesus Christ in the scripture. That is in the sermon. Then God communes with us, and this is the Lord's Supper, in which we share a meal not only with one another, but we are in the presence of God. And lastly, God commissions us. He sends us out from this place to take with us what we have received, the grace we have received, the teaching we have received, and we will share it with the world, but we will live it out in our lives. So the initiative rests with God. It's God who calls us. It's God who cleanses us and consecrates us, communes with us, and commissions us. I said a bit ago, before I digress, that going to church is a true response to what is true, true about God and his people. What is true about his people? What is true about the church? It is a community of God's people. People from all different sorts of lives, of different levels, different perspectives. The church is seen at least in two ways in the New Testament. First is what we would call the church universal. And this is everyone who is a part of God's people, past, present, and future. We sang today our first hymn, The God of Abraham Praise. He is a part of that. He is a part of the people of God. The 90,000 Christians who lost their lives last year for the faith, they are a part of the people of God, as we are. We find in the New Testament various metaphors, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. All of this means that we are united together, but more than that, we are united to Christ. 
The church has union with God in Christ, in the Lord, in him. Paul uses this phrase over 150 times in his letters. There is a bond. We are bound to Christ. We are his people. We are heirs, as we said, as you listened, the promise of forgiveness, and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Jesus refers to the church as my church. Upon this rock I will build my church. Then there is the local expression, the local congregation. That's us here on the church on Melrose. We see it in the New Testament, the church in Corinth, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, and it goes on and on. But this is where a lot of Christians get into trouble as they read the epistles. They take passages that are written to churches and say, oh, it's written for the individual. Part of that is because in English, uh, second person, the plural and the singular are the same, you. So when we read you, we may think it's referring to me as an individual, when in fact it may be referring to a group of people. Let me give you some examples. This may be familiar to you from Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I think most people think that's referring to the individual Christian, that the individual Christian is to put on the full armor of God. But Paul uses the plural. We as the people of God, as the church on Melrose, are to put on the full armor of God. In Philippians 1, another familiar passage, be confident of this, or being confident of this, that he who began a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. The you there is plural, not singular. Uh, We may take, in the past, have taken great comfort that God who began a work in the life of Damon Woods will continue it until the end, until it reaches its telos. Um, But that's not what Paul's talking about. He uses the plural. He's speaking of the body of Christ, and he's speaking there to the church in Philippi. The focus in the epistles is on the congregation, much more than it is on the individual. But living when and where we do, we tend to see it as being about me, about the individual. I found this fascinating. The word saint appears one time in the New Testament. The word saints appears 61 times. But I think if you would read the New Testament today through the eyes of someone in the United States in 2017, we would reverse that. We would think that it's more about us as individuals rather than congregations. A good image that we might use is that of mountain climbers who attach to one another by a rope. Each is climbing but not alone. But the image that we are given in the New Testament is that of the body. We are the body of Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. We're not members of a club, but members of the body. And by definition, we are different from each other, but we are to be connected to each other. We need each other to function. We can't do it on our own. Someone might ask the question, you know, Jesus made the promise that when two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. So isn't that a church? Isn't it just good enough to get together with a couple other brothers and sisters, and then call that church. No, I think the church is much more specific and definite than that. In in Matthew 18, 
on the issue of discipline. If someone sins against you, go to that person. If he or she doesn't listen, then take two others, two of the elders. And if they won't listen, then take the matter to the church. And if the person refuses to listen to the church, the church is to take a course of action, which we refer to as excommunication. The church requires institutional structure. And there it is, that dreaded word, institution. I think in this congregation we fear it so much that we can't even start on time because that would almost make it seem like we're organized in some reasonable format. Um, In a world where people say that they love spirituality but hate religion, the thing they associate with religion is institution. And so it's become a dirty word, at least in religious matters. That spirituality means your feeling, your individuality, spontaneity. Whereas religion means, you know, you have to pay dues, you have to be organized. There's a lack of spontaneity, a lack of vitality, and you just, you know, you have to follow the rules. And certainly, one could argue that in certain institutions, things are done simply for the sake of doing things and an unwillingness to change what has been done in the past. I think I've told you the story before uh, of a pastor who was invited to Sunday uh, lunch by a family in the congregation, and they had ham for lunch, and it was quite good. But he noticed that it was something really different, and that is that the end of the the ham had been cut off and set next to the main body of the ham, and that's how it was cooked. And so afterwards, the pastor thanked the woman who cooked it and said, this is quite remarkable. But I was wondering why you didn't cook the ham whole, you know, why you cut part of it off and put it on the side. And she said, you know, I don't know. My mom always did it that way. So she got on the phone and called her mom. And she said, Mom, why is it in our family whenever we cook a ham, we cut off the end and put it next? And she goes, I don't know. Your grandmother always did it that way. So they called Grandma. And they said, Grandma, why is it when we cook a ham in our family, we cut off the end and we put it next to it? Why do we do that? She said, well, my oven was too small. And so I had to cut it off and put it next to it. That's why I cooked it that way. And then it becomes institutionalized. I think there is a real danger with that. But institutions are important. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. A church isn't just thrown together uh, on some whim, spontaneous whim. It's not like a Bible study that can be started and then just dropped whenever you want to. The church is different. We are to provide a place of worship. We are to care for those who are in need. And we are to preserve continuity for the next generation. It is quite remarkable for a congregation of our size, small, to have as many children as we do. And one of the things we are to do as a congregation is to pass the faith on to the next generation. The church is to be an institution. It's also to be an organization. Um, There are to be leaders. Um, And this isn't spelled out in great detail in the epistles. We might care for more detail, but... We know that there were elders and deacons, and in this congregation we have three elders, Dan and Mike and myself. We are the elders. Um, Paul wrote to Titus, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So there's to be leadership. Church membership is also not spelled out in the New Testament. It's not explicit, I think, by implication. 
Um, there is something like church membership. Ours is very informal. But if you think of church discipline, someone is inside and with discipline. If they do not listen, then they are put outside. So there is an organizational, institutional aspect that we are part of something. And if, in fact, you choose to live contrary to God's law and refuse to repent and continue in that, then you are put outside. Well, if there's no organization, how can you, in, in fact, do discipline? It can only work where you have organization. In Revelation 2, the church of Thyatira, the Lord is angry because they have tolerated the wicked woman Jezebel who is in their congregation. Um, She is to be put out. The social structure of the church cuts across the social strata of society. On the day of Pentecost, what we find is that people of every age, gender, race, class, and nationality are found there. From every nation under heaven, Luke tells us. And Peter quotes from the prophet Joel, Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And when Peter's done preaching, people are convicted because they have put to death the Messiah and they say, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Doesn't matter what country you come from. Doesn't matter if you're a man or you're a woman. Um, In repentance, you are in fact to repent of your sins and be baptized. You see, it is the Lord Jesus that even though we are different, He, in fact, brings us into the body together. We may have different levels of education. We may make different amounts of money, uh, have different health issues, uh, different ethnicity, you name it. Uh, But we are made one in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who does this. If, in fact, we are to continue as God's people, it requires organization, institutional structure, and leadership. The fourth question is, why should I be involved in a local church? I think in response to living out what is true, living it out what is true about God and about ourselves, we need to go back to the first question, is why people don't go to church and try to answer those. Some people say the church doesn't do it for me. This is American individualism. This exceptionalism, it's all about me. And we read New Testament passages that say, you, 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 and we think, oh, it's me, 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 when in fact, it's speaking to a congregation. We're supposed to be part of a congregation. Some would say the church must aid me in my walk with the Lord, and if it doesn't, then then I won't go. Well, again, many of the promises we find in Scripture aren't made to individuals, they're made to the church to a congregation, a group of people. The church isn't a means to an end. You know, I, was, I was kind of depressed. I decided to go to church and so I could feel better about myself. That's not why we go to church. The church is the body of Christ and we are to grow together. That's why we come to church. In Hebrews 11, the amazing chapter on faith, The writer says, these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that 
only together with us would they be made perfect. That's quite remarkable. If you think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, David, people of faith that put us to shame, and yet the writer says that they are made complete with us, brought in together. People would say that the people in church are hopeless. Well, you know, it's one, it's, we need to recognize we do the prayer of confession every Sunday because we are sinners. Because we're not perfect, because we're not complete, the work isn't finished. We are projects under construction, and the work is still ongoing. Um, are you critical of people in church? Well, Paul was. Read his letters. But he didn't say, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with you yahoos because you can't seem to get it together. Instead, he said, this is what you need to do. These are the things you're doing that are wrong, and these are the things that you need to do. People oftentimes want a church that is perfect. Something, a church that's got all the wrinkles worked out, all the wrinkles ironed out. There's no such place. And we certainly, in the church on Melrose, are not that place either. It's been a source of frustration for me over the years that people who have moved away from uh, Los Angeles, uh, and I check up on them and see, how are you doing? It's like, are you going to church? And no, you know, we just, we're looking, we can't find a church like the church on Melrose. And I feel like throttling them through the phone to say, you will never find a church like the church on Melrose because this is where we are and you're someplace else and we are all in process. We have a lot of kinks to work out and it will continue to the next generation. We won't get it all right in our lifetime. I've been here next month will be 41 years. We're still working out the kinks. It's part of what it means to be human. It's part of what it means to be a part of the people of God. Yes, you are to find a church that has good doctrine, that has good practice. um, But we all make mistakes. We're all human. And let's not forget that. If you want to grow you need to recognize that it isn't merely an individual process. That I want to grow as a Christian. That's an admirable goal. Definitely. But it is in church, I'm convinced, that we can grow as we interact with each other, as we pray together, as we talk to each other, as we meet and worship. That's where things are worked out. Versus if you're doing it by yourself, I think some growth is possible. But that's not what God intends. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have over the years that in our service, it would seem that the sermon is the key element in our public worship. It's certainly an important part. But I have to tell you, in in the past four decades, um, the times that I have felt the presence of God in the most powerful way have not been during the sermon. Sometimes during the singing, sometimes in prayer, oftentimes in the reading from scripture. And that's not possible, I think, if we are alone. 
It happens when we come together as God's people. We need to recognize that God planned the church. Jesus died for the church. The Spirit is building the church. We are the church. We are the people of God. And there are things we can do. The things, there are things that we should be doing. I'm not going to tell you what those are. Because I'm not sure that I know. But as God works in your heart as an individual and in our hearts as a congregation, I think we begin, we begin to have a better sense. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. As I meet with my brothers and sisters... together on Sunday. We don't see each other oftentimes between Sundays. As I'm with them on Sundays, as I'm apart from them during the week, these are the things that God would have me to do. So as we begin a new year, I suppose in some ways this is a call to perfect attendance in the coming year. Um, We're not going to give out any ribbons. Um, But it is to encourage you I think in a very individualistic age to say, listen, church is not about you as an individual. It's about us as the people of God. And we need, we need to meet together on Sundays. And the next four Sundays, I will not be here physically. I will be praying for you as you meet together. Um, different ones will be leading the worship. Different ones will be speaking. But we together are the people of God. This is God's plan. We are the ones for whom Jesus died. We are the ones in whom the Spirit of God is working. We are the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, perhaps it is more difficult than we realize to shake uh, the cultural sense of individualism, that it's all about the individual. It's all about me. We gather every Sunday as a congregation because together we are the people of God. I think living when and where we do, we would much prefer if it was just an an individual matter. But we would be so much poorer for that. There's wonderful richness in meeting together and sharing together. And if necessary, correcting one another. But building each other up by your spirit. And above all, worshiping you and praising you for what you have done. I pray for Dave, Ben, Tom, Titus, as they prepare and as they speak, you would give them the words, but open also our hearts to receive your truth. And then might we not be hearers only, but doers of the word. I pray for Gia that you would give her strength. Watch over her and Nanae as I'm away. Provide what they need. 
And as I'm gone, that you would direct me to do the things that need to be done and to set aside the things that are not important. I ask that you would protect each one in this congregation as I'm away, as you do while I'm here. And by your grace, may you bring us back together when I return. Thank you for calling us together today. Now send us out into the world by your grace and your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.